Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Um, we've got a real uh, bonus extra today because it just so happens that uh, my friend David Kinnaman is in town. And uh, David is uh, just an extraordinary uh, ministry within the body of Christ worldwide uh, because he leads an organization called Barna, uh, based out of uh, America that does, I, I think it's probably the leading body doing a research, getting hard data on what is happening in society, both for the church and for um, creative businesses and so on beyond that. And if you've ever felt in recent years it's all a bit chaotic and confusing out there and who can you trust, then you know we need the data more than ever. We need the facts. They're our friends. And so we need to understand what's happening in the world. So he really has a, a very, very unusual perspective um, that, that we can all uh, learn from. Uh, he's a good friend. Uh, he lives in Texas, uh, where I have it on good account. The weather's better than it is here. And on the way here, I was trying to explain to him what a pantomime was. And it was, can be, I'll be honest, it's not easy. It is not <laughs> easy. So let's just uh, welcome David Kinnaman. David, um, it's so great to have you here at, at Emmaus Road. And uh, first of all, just, uh, that was a dreadful uh, introduction. Hel- help us to understand a bit more about what, who you are, what you do, all of that. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the, you can explain the, ba- the pantomime a little bit more to me at lunch. I still don't get it, but that's all right. Uh, well, I have three kids, uh, Emily, Annika, and Zach, uh, 24, 22, and 19. So uh, that's uh, the pride of my life and amazing young people who've all been on their own journey. I'm also a widower. Uh, my wife died uh, three years ago, so that's been part of our story of, of suffering and, and, and her loss. Uh, but in the midst of that, I'm a social researcher. I'm a nerd. I'm a geek, for Christ's sake. And uh, so we do, we do social research, uh, focusing on what people can tell us about their spiritual lives. Uh, and we do this mostly in the United States, but we've also done a, a number of global studies Uh, One called the Connected Generation with Millennials Around the World, another called the Open Generation with Teenagers, including teenagers and young people here in the UK. And uh, it's really a privilege. I feel like our job, there's a really cool reference in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 called the Tribe of Issachar. King David becomes king of the whole nation, and he's uniting all these different tribes, and, and the Tribe of Issachar is described as people who understood the times and knew what the people of God should do. And so I feel like that's part of our mission is to be, is to be listeners, to help tune people's ears to what is happening. Uh, and uh, it is such a privilege, as hard as it can be sometimes, to hear people who have lost their faith or who have walked away or who are deconstructing or who admit that they're lonely. I think about all the events in their lives that have led them to the moment when we get 15 minutes with them and they tick a box that say, I'm lonely or I'm struggling, or I'm depressed, or I'm spiritually open, or I'm hungry for God, or I think prayer could be an answer in my life. And so uh, that's what we do, is we use research to try to help people's backstory so that leaders can do a better job of understanding what can we do to make a difference in their lives. Amazing. So we're all muddling through, uh, trying to pray, trying to share our faith, 
sometimes encouraged, sometimes discouraged. Big picture, 30,000 foot view. What do you see happening sort of spiritually? What is the spiritual temperature in, in the West? Well, there's actually a lot of spiritual openness. I mean, this has been one of the, the really interesting stories coming out of the pandemic. I feel like, you know, what's happened is people's sort of uh, exterior lives, all the ways that they've built their lives, it's sort of been stripped back. And listen, there's lots and lots of challenges, loneliness, mental health challenges, uh, you know, economic issues, obviously global conflict. Um, but what's really interesting is that we're seeing a new level of spiritual openness. Uh, in fact, when we did this global study of teenagers, we interviewed nearly 25,000 teenagers around the world. And at first, we were going to call it the, the, the Global Teens Report, which is super boring. Uh, but as we actually looked at the data, we described, we, we described them as an open generation. And they're open to God. They're open to the Bible. Even in uh, multi-faith contexts that are not primarily Christian, there's an openness to the Christian scriptures as a place they might find answers or some sort of way of living in, in the world. They're open to prayer, a huge, huge opportunity. Now, they're also open to anything and everything. And I think that's part of our job as the church is to, to give people sturdy answers, to give them God himself so that they can you know, take this openness and close it on something sturdy, on something solid. Uh, but it's a very open moment. And uh, you talked about teenagers there. Talk to us about some of the differences you see, some of the shifts between millennials, Gen X, millennials, and Gen, Gen Z, Z, Generation Z. Z. I, gotcha. I, I, gotcha. I feel so, Generation Z, uh, please, G Gen Z. Well, I think uh, the church in, in general is very unprepared for Generation Z, Generation Z. Um, they're asking more from the church than we are willing to give them. And they want to be taught and trained and, and sort of like, is this really real in all of our lives, including their emotional and mental health and their friendships, in their work, in their purpose, in their calling? Uh, and a lot of them have, have really, tr we have a huge challenge of discipling young people because I think the church has given them too simplistic answers. And so they're asking a lot. But there's a lot we could talk about in terms of the difference between millennials and Gen Z. Um, you know, Gen Z is very an anxious and very ambitious. Uh, and those twin po poles, very anxious, very ambitious, sort of define their lives. They want to make a difference in the world. They think they're going to be famous and well-known by age 25. <laughs> uh, and they may well be. And so I think there's a really interesting opportunities for us to disciple them into even a theology of influence, how God actually calls us into positions of influence in our, in our businesses, in our workplaces, in our communities, uh, in the world. And uh, I think that's actually another example of how we don't call a generation to the greatness that they feel in their bones. This is a moment for greatness. This is a moment for us to rise up and be the church. And they, they, need, a, they need to see their story against the backdrop of this huge and wonderful story that we can see in scripture. And I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. So one other little, little theme that we've been realizing in the research is that we prepare this generation for success, but we don't prepare them for suffering. And that, that's a good example of, it's not easy. There's not like, hey, let's come to the suffering se seminar. Uh, but, but there is, there is oh, a way. I've been to a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived it. I've lived it. Uh, but, but I think there's a way that this is actually the, an example of, of young people, and all of us really, are looking for a way through the toughest things that we face as human beings, whether it's war and conflict, whether it's brain cancer, which was my wife's story, whether it's job loss, whether it's mental health, whether it's sexual abuse. And, and again, just think back to the, this notion that we all have some sort of backstory. 
It's like if you could only understand, if you only knew, if you only could see what happened to me when I was a certain age. And we need to give people tools to understand and take the venom out of that because God actually walks with us through suffering, right? So I think this generation is really hungry for that kind of deeper discipleship that God actually walks with us through the, the deepest and hardest things, whether we're experiencing that collectively as a society, like you mentioned about Ukraine, uh, or whether that's about our own internal journey. And so, you know, again, we're just seeing huge opportunities for the gospel. I want to I instill courage in you as a community. God is on the move, and there's spiritual openness in our society uh, like we haven't seen in the last number of years. And this younger generation is, is spiritually open, and they want a way forward through some of the, the, the most challenging things that, uh, that life could throw at us. Very encouraging. So uh, openness, anxiety, and ambition yeah. together. And yet, at this time of great potential, we, we seem to see the church in, in, in decline. Uh, we seem to see an erosion of confidence in the gospel, and many people even deconstructing their faith. Right. It, it feels like there's a problem here, not with um, demand, but supply. Right. So talk to us a bit in what, what you see that some of those, those trends in the church, and how do, how do we marry those two realities? Well, I think what you're hitting on, Pete, is something that's really important for us uh, to understand about what re- was required of, his, of courage. I just happen to be reading a book called The Splendid and the Vile. It's about uh, uh, Churchill and, and, and his courage and how he uh, instilled courage. Uh, and, and this notion that when he described the problems facing you know, the West and you know, the threat of Nazism, uh, he was very clear about the challenges. And we face challenges today. I don't want to miss that. There are huge challenges in terms of the strength of the church and its, uh, its qualities of discipleship and, and again, loneliness and mental health and, and addiction and, and so, social issues and war. And yet at the same time, the, the openness is, is there. So how do we respond to that? And what we're seeing is that for those of us who are, interv- who are, who are um, having conversations with non-Christians around us, people want friendships. They want to have a, a, a conversation where we're not forcing a conclusion on them, mm-hmm. where we're, we are trying to help them understand their backstory and listen without judgment. And again, I think one of the ways I've been thinking about this as a, what we can be as the church is we're meant to be a persuasive community. We are a storied community living in light of Jesus' story. And what that does is it gives us a chance to tell our own stories in a different way. Everyone, every human being has some kind of story. And so how can we tell our story in a different and deeper way? and then help other people restory their experiences. So if you could only understand, if you could only see, if you only knew, well, maybe what happened in that time when you were being physically abused or sexually abused or you were without money or you were, you were wondering if you had any friends or you were wondering if there's a God, maybe, maybe there was some other current that was happening and we don't minimize the loss or the hurt or the abuse, uh, but we help to take people to a different place. Uh, you know, Hebrews says you you came before to a mountain of of Zeus and and sort of this this you know lightning and fire, but we're relanguaging what Jesus is. He he sprinkles a new covenant that says now you can be a friend with God Himself, and that to me is a message of hope for this generation. So we have an opportunity to help people in our conversations. That's what we're learning when we interview non Christians. They're like. If you would just be good conversation partners with us, listening without judgment, helping us to restory our our backstory, 
in light of what it is you, you see and have experienced in the grace of God in your lives, that, that is where the spiritual power comes. And again, I just want to keep encouraging you. Like People are really open to those kinds of just real human expressions of, of this is the questions I had, the doubts I've had, the de deconstruction I've been through, the, the, the pain and suffering and loss, and yet Jesus... You know, Paul, uh, in, the, in the very beginning of 2 Corinthians, he says, we despaired of life, and yet we learned not to trust in our own power. We actually learned to trust in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what God is doing right mm -hmm. now for the church. He's helping us trust in him in some new and fresh ways. So helpful. And um, we're passionate about prayer here. What's going on? Tell us, talk to us about prayer. I think prayer is one of the really undiscovered gems in terms of the spiritually open moment. Um, we find that the vast majority of people in every, every society that we have had the opportunity of doing research in, they're open to prayer. They act, actually pray. They, yeah. It is, it is uh, you know, a huge thoroughfare in terms of people's openness to God, right? So there's these kind of other ways that people are maybe have like very small, you know, kind of backwoods trails, but it's a huge thoroughfare in terms of what everyone is open to prayer. They want to experience God. Even atheists in our research will tick the box. Yeah, I pray, right? Sometimes it's just a form of meditation or it's a, it's a way of them having some sort of spiritual experience. But prayer is a huge, huge opportunity. People are expecting mm -hmm. uh, something of prayer. So I think that's a, a, a real avenue, a real possibility in this next season of, of spiritual openness you know, not just to have people sort of hear our great pre preaching and teaching and all, and like all that we have to offer and all of our smarts, but actually come and say, like, let's actually talk to God. Let's actually see and experience what God, the creator of the universe, might have to say to you. Uh, we just did a study of teenagers here in the UK, and we know that among practicing Christian teenagers, 96% say they believe that Jesus speaks in a way that is real and personal. Amazing. So, it, like, it's really... It's really cool. It's good news. Now, not very many UK teens are Christians. Not very many of those who say they're Christian are practicing Christians. Mm -hmm. But among those who are active, there is a real expectancy. They want to hear from God. And so I think we have, and you know, your, your leadership and what you guys, what your community has done uh, to try to like lean into the voice of God in our lives. That was actually one of the key things that we saw in a research study. Uh, I, I, called, I wrote a book called You Lost Me about people who walked away from faith. And one of the key factors in people who stay with faith is they actually believe that Jesus speaks. Interesting. Because when you, you're talking to God, when you can tune that voice to something that's larger than just your own inner voice or those around you or what you yeah. think your parents want, uh, that is one of the key factors in those who stay. And so, so encouraging. We, we need to do more and more of that. Yeah. And um, so finally, everyone will be thinking this is good stuff, need more of this. Where can people find out more? Uh, well, again, thanks for having me, Pete. It's so fun to be here and to see you, Sammy, and just this community. It's just fun to worship with you. Uh, and our job is to equip you to be the eyes and ears, to have more, uh, more of a tuned eye and ear to what God might be saying. And the research is a way to do that. So barna.com is a great way to just check it out. You can sign up for our free B -A -R -N -A. email. B-A-R-N-A. B-A-R-N-A.com. And it's just our privilege to help give you tools to think better about what God's up to in our time. And you, you've written lots of great books, Unchristian. I underlined so much of that book. Uh, um, the Resilient Pastor. What else? Uh, you Lost Me. A, yes. Another book called Faith for Exiles, which is yes. about discipleship in digital Babylon. Uh, so, you know, these, these tools are something like what the Holy Spirit might be created if he could 
uh, be in, instantiated in a in a little in a little digital device, right? It's like our ever-present help in lost directions, and you know the the algorithms are discipling this generation. So that was part of my effort was to try to help think about what does discipleship look like in the digital in the digital era. And so, um, I mean, how lucky are my kids that I have all the answers for them? And um, I just, I, sometime at dinner, we'll just, I'll pull up a PowerPoint deck and just say, hey, let me t show, you, show you how to keep your faith. And so here's some data, here's some data, here's some data. I don't do this, guys. It's, my kids are, are great, and they're, they're lucky to have me as a dad, but not because I'm a social researcher with all the answers. Awesome. Well, thank you for being a nerd for Christ's sake. Uh, that's great. Let's show appreciation. Thanks so much, David. Good to be here.